Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineWeb.com, your one-stop destination for all of the latest swine news, commentary, videos, events, and industry hot topics in animal health and feed. Log on to SwineWeb.com today. And Innovative Heating, the manufacturer of Hog Hearth, the most energy-efficient and only antimicrobial heat mat for the swine industry. Reduce maintenance costs and lower your electric bill today. For more information, visit hoghearth.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Peter Schneider, an individual heavily involved with his own family farming operations at Schneider & Schneider Pork Farms, and then an individual who works with various groups of pork producers as a veterinarian. Hi, Peter. How are you doing today? Good, man. The sun's out. It's a pretty nice day, so really can't complain. It is really nice out today, and but it's been a been a big week, been a big month, uh, past couple of months. Would you mind uh, before we kind of dive into everything going on, just give us a little insight to how you got involved in uh, the pork industry and and what you do today? Sure, sure. <clears throat> well, as you said there, you know, again, my family um, has a. Um, as a hog farm, we're a 1,200 style fair to finish operation. So, you know, probably a little bit different model than what um, is the standard out there today. But certainly, it's been in the family for a long time. I'm the fifth generation to to be working on the farm. Um, you know, my uh, we also have a, a row crop operation. So, uh, with that background, growing up in that uh, segment of the industry, it really uh, sparked me to. Um, I guess my interest in swine medicine and, and swine production, and, and that really drove me then to go to Iowa State and get my degree in veterinary medicine. And um, so in addition to my role with the family farm, I also serve as a, a veterinarian uh, with a, a clinic here in Iowa and um, uh, assist with producers or help producers uh, basically across the, the entire United States. So when we talk about fam- what, what a family farm is anymore, do you mind giving us a little insight to what yours looks like? Because yours is a little more advanced than I think a lot of people might think of when, when you talk about family farm. Sure. No, that's a, <clears throat> that's a good point. You know, there's a lot of different ways to, to make it in the industry today. And um, so, again, we're, we're 1,200 sows, fair to finish. And, again, all conventional production. We do have, um, um, you know, electronic sow feeding, large uh, pen gestation in our farm. So uh, we we made an expansion about six years ago to get to that size from around 800 sows. But um, again, conventional production, as probably most people would think about with, um, you know, pigs and, and confined finishers and whatnot else. So certainly different than, again, maybe some models of smaller producers that are going more into niche marketing scenarios. So whether it be outdoor production or um, certain uh, meat traits or characteristics in terms of the, the breeds they're using uh, to make it in, in that um, that smaller segment of our industry. So, but no, we're certainly just going down the conventional pathway today. It's crazy how fast time year, uh, six years goes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, or you, uh, you may still have, uh, have uh, known what Schneider and Schneider Farms looked like before the, um, the expansion there, but you know, certainly, yeah, it's, it's definitely crazy how fast those things go and fly, fly by. 
so what have things been like for for you specifically over the last couple of months uh, from the work you do with various pork producers and the work you do at home? Yeah, it's I guess um, it's it's been kind of chaotic. Um, it's been a little bit unpredictable, and and certainly in the pork industry, everything's fairly. Uh, unpredictable. You never really kind of know what you're going to walk into any day when you go into the farm or I go visit a client. You never quite know what you're going to, you're going to tackle that day from trying to make uh, your own farm better and help you make your clients better. Um, but, you know, again, we, we've just thrown a whole nother wrench into it here with uh, the, the COVID-19 situation. So um, certainly we've had a lot of conversations about things uh, relating to how do I make sure that I can get all my, my hogs to market when the packing plants are, are shut down? How do I uh, help keep my pigs from you know growing quite as fast? And that's certainly not a, a normal conversation we're having, um, obviously, as we look to try to be as efficient as possible to, you know, heck, my, my employees are sick. And then um, you know, what am I going to do when, when, if they can't show up uh, to work? And, you know, a lot of conversations about the economics of pork production here as we've seen our markets become fairly turbulent um, and and um, again not only that but also with producers not even not being able to get pigs to market kind of hard to have cash flow and pay bills when when you don't have money coming in from that product that you're supposed to supposed to be selling so it's been it's been just very chaotic and, and I guess um, a lot of instability going on so I know um, you know in addition to that we can't overlook the the psychological and, and welfare side of, of what we do. And so, you know, and that, on, that only goes along with, with the pigs, which is obviously our focus on a day-to-day -day basis, but also the people. You know, we're talking about scenarios, again, whether it be from the economics of running a farm to just simply, you know, how do I take care of these pigs? That it, That's what my mandate is. That's what I've signed up to do is to make sure I keep pigs alive. And when we get to scenarios where we don't have a market or a home for those pigs, we have to make decisions on on when it is that we decide to euthanize or, or move on from that group of pigs so it's really taken on a lot of different roles and, and really stretched my imagination and, and kind of maybe the things I thought I was going to do in this industry. So when we look at some of the things that we're facing today uh, we have been adjusting um, nutrition to try to in increase the growth timelines of, of finishing hogs and we're also looking at euthanasia. Uh, I, I know that we don't really have a great idea or understanding right now of of exactly what the guidelines and plans are moving forward, but can you talk about the kind of the dilemma we're in, uh, whether from the people's perspective and the pigs' perspective? It, this isn't an easy easy thing to to kind of discuss or or solve. Yeah, no, without a doubt. You know, again, we're we've been, I guess, blessed that we haven't had this sort of disruption before in our our supply chain, right? Being able to get pigs to the packing plants to to get slaughtered into pork chops and bacon and all the good things we like to eat. So when we when we start to face dilemmas about we've got pigs that are nearing that, you know, mark where, where again, we really can't sell them um, because we don't have a place to take them to, nobody's open, or, you know, we're getting to the point where, you know, we continue to put more and more money into this animal, keeping it, you know, in these facilities and taking, taking care of its needs. But, you know, the economic ramifications of selling a pig, 
um, that number one falls out of you know where the packer wants to take that now you're you're getting discounted for pigs that you put a lot more money into where does that economic decision just made have to be made to say we have to move on from this group because we have pigs behind it that need to find homes so you know we're getting to the point where we've got groups that have been double stocked or triple stocked and those pigs normally get you know all removed at um, you know a, a feeder pig weight 45 50 pounds to get into a new facility and, you know, again, that model's worked very well for a long time, but when you don't have a new home coming on board, you push that pig a little further. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, the decision about, you know, how do we make sure we're meeting the needs, the welfare needs of those pigs? Um, because, again, um, we just simply have nowhere to take them to. Um, and then, you know, on the end of the producer that uh, has a sow farm and is traditionally selling pigs at weaning time, you know, they right now, if they don't have an agreement or a relationship with somebody that's buying those pigs on a regular basis for a set price or, or whatever agreement that they have, they have a lot of pigs that um, simply just don't have a home. And so, you know, again, in all these scenarios, we have to decide when the welfare of the animal, um, you know, we can't meet that. And unfortunately, that means maybe we have to euthanize that animal. So, um, again, we're always making sure in that process we are looking out for the animal's best interest and eliminating any suffering or pain that, you know, potentially comes along with those processes. Um, and, and that is, you know, again, a, a tough thing to, to balance in terms of making sure we're meeting that, but also keeping the employees safe. Um, when we're talking about large numbers of animals, you know, there's some ways we can do it, whether it be you know, through captive bolt or um, using a rifle. Um, but certainly those things do create some risk for the people doing it. And when we're talking about large numbers, we're talking about fatigue, um, not only physically but mentally that comes in involved with that. And then also the aspect of um, individuals doing it and their mental health. Um, that's certainly not something, you know, again, we probably discuss enough in terms of, of you know, we're, we're not just out there making making a widget. This is this is a pig. This is a living, breathing thing. And um, these folks that take care of these pigs care about these pigs immensely. And so, you know, we we need to make sure that we're trying to take care of the welfare of the people too. And, and there's simply just no good way, um, you know, around euthanizing animals. But um, you know, I, we we have to be try to be as cognizant as possible to make sure that. That you know, hopefully, at some point in time, these folks can can sleep again after they have to do these events. Yeah, and it sounds like the industry, or it seems like the industry, has been doing a lot more in regards to focusing on mental health, just from some of the uh, welfare symposium events and other other things that the industry does. That it's been emphasized over the last few years, especially since PED. And so it's it's nice to know that there are some resources, whether that's. Uh, through some some mental health uh, specialists that work with uh, like the USDA and some of these other groups, but it is a difficult time. There's not a whole lot of answers as to to how we get through what we're going through. From from your perspective, you're 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 helping farmers from and barns all over the place. How have you been able to do that, given lockdowns and uh, rigorous biosecurity protocols? What what has that looked like for you at, at this time? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So biosecurity is always on the, the front and center of our minds as, you know, 
pork producers and as veterinarians, you know, and, and we've got to be cognizant of that uh, to make sure the pigs don't get sick. And I, I do think it's it's kind of funny is that we go around and we're talking about the, what we need to do to prevent the spread of COVID, right? And so we're talking about people wearing masks and I see folks wearing gloves and things like that. And I, I kind of laugh a little bit because, you know, we go, we've implemented those things for a long time in the swine industry as we talk about biosecurity um you know we obviously shower in shower out of most sites today or at minimum changing coveralls um or in boots uh wearing gloves uh, masks probably hasn't been as prevalent as as um, we are seeing today but you know when we think about things like influenza and how that gets moved around you know, certainly something that we may be looking at doing more of in the future is wearing masks. But all these things that we're doing to try to prevent COVID, you know, in the swine industry, we've done these things a long time. So I, I do find that to be pretty funny. But, you know, we're lucky enough as swine veterinarians, and I guess lucky enough is a loose term, but um, for the security of the food supply, you know, we've been labeled as as exempt. And so of pork producers and those working in the pork industry is um, exempt from some of the rules and regulations because we're necessary, um, like I said, to protect the food supply. Uh, so, you know, we've, we really haven't been hassled too much. I know I've had a few folks that have told me that they've got stopped or had a truck get stopped and asked about why they were out. But for the most part, you know, that's been a fairly fluid process for us to continue to go see pigs. And certainly I'd, um, I, that's very important, right? We can't really lapse in our mindset in terms of there's a lot of diseases out there that we need to be aware of for the swine industry and the importance to the health of the pigs, be it the, the conventional ones that we deal with like PERS and PED. But also we certainly have threats with African swine fever, classical swine fever, foot and mouth disease that aren't in this country. And we, we need to be continue to be aware of those. And so um, that's one thing I think the that swine vets have done a good job with and, and also others in the industry have been continuing to to um, highlight that we can't just let our vigilance down on those diseases coming in just because of, of COVID. Yeah, it seems like the teamwork's been really great throughout all the members of the industry trying to figure out how do we support pork producers as best as possible? How do we get in touch with the, the general public, the, the government to create plans moving forward that can be as beneficial to the pork producer as possible, then also fair. Uh, when you look at the landscape of pork production, the various business models that are that are a part of it, the various segmentation, whether that's sow, uh, sow farms, nurseries, finishing, who is who was exposed the most? Who who has had the the hardest time with all of this? Oh. You know, I, that's a tough question. Um, I, I think we all really have <laughs> have taken our our lump in this thing. I, I would say that um, you know there are folks that, um, um, that I mean, everybody's been been you know affected. Whether it be you know transporters that haven't been able to get loads, whether it's been um, you know independent producers that or all producers that haven't been able to get pigs sold. Um, you know, and, and I guess I go back to the independent producer because that's what I am. But, you know, certainly, um, you know, the, the strength of a contract with a packer and, and um, the, you know, what your agreement is in terms of how you get compensated, you know, is a big deal right now. And so those that are selling pigs, um, you know, um, cash basis versus some sort of a formula, maybe even on a pig cutout. Um, I, those people are really struggling, you know, at least if you can get a load in with a, a pork formula and a cutout formula today, you're looking at a pretty good number because of the cost of pork 
and the value of the of the cutout that we're seeing in the carcass. Um, but um, those selling cash hogs were just kind of backed up so bad here that there's really doesn't need to be a bid for picks. So, um, you know, folks that are on that are, are losing big money right now. So um, certainly contract growers, you know, and, and even me just, you know, we, to some extent, you know, you continue to get paid, right? I mean, we can you continue to get a check from a an ind a company that you have pigs in your barn for, but again, you know, if anybody anybody that has to go into a scenario where we're talking about euthanizing pigs, and certainly those growers, even if they're they don't own the pigs, aren't exempt. If they're their pigs, they're likely um, in that conversation as well. Um, you know, I think you know again, I, that, that's a tough position to be in. So. If, I just, you know, I don't know that anybody in particular is being, you know, um, affected, you know, more than anybody. We all are affected in probably a different way, but um, everybody in this industry has been very affected. So what what have you personally been doing to, I guess, handle all the stressors that come with this? Any any strategies or things that you do to help take your mind off of it or, uh, I guess, focus on your own mental health? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a wonderful family, um, you know, very supportive wife and, and, uh, and two kids that are adorable. So, you know, again, it's, it's, at least you always have something to look forward to come home to, right? And I think we always have to, to find those positives that you have, right? And, and overall, like, I always got to sit there and think that, hey, my health's good. I haven't lost anybody to COVID. So there's a lot of positives that we still pull, you know, on a daily basis. So that's, you know, again, probably the things that keep me going on, a day, on you know, every day when I get up and, and thinking that, you know, I'm going to come home to to a good family and, and good health. And, and uh, you know, that's very good. But I think it's pretty important right now. And I've had a number of conversations with producers, um, you know, like myself as an independent or folks out there that are having to go through, you know, conversations about euthanizing hogs. And, um, you know, they get very emotional. Uh, there's people that you, you never really expected to have that kind of a conversation with, um, never really thought, you know, would, would be that kind of an emotional um, state and you know you 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 got to listen you got to be you know there to support them and if even if you're both going through it the same you know I think you can you can support one another in that scenario and, and go through but you know I didn't it just you can't shy away from the fact that mental health is a real thing and you know yep we're all tough we're all especially us guys right we're all tough but um, you know these these things are real and and they're long-lasting and you know, COVID's going to have a long-lasting effect on this industry. We're yet to see how that's all going to be, but it, we're not going to remain scarless from this. Um, but uh, you know, again, I guess at the end of the day, if you have your health, then that's the most important thing. So we got to make sure we take care of it. So shifting from status quo, how things have been going, maybe a little forward-thinking on um, a few different factors. I want to kind of touch base on the light at the end of the tunnel. I want to touch base on uh, telehealth uh, and within vets and uh, remote remote work with that remote support, and then touch base on various business models within the supply chain that might might come out of this. And so the first thing, let's just start with the end of, light at the end of the tunnel. I don't think anybody has a clear idea of it, but what what are the various elements that have to take place for us to start to see it? 
Well, we've got to get rid of a lot of pigs some way or another. You know, if I'm not a, an expert on the economics of pork production. I mean, I, I guess I know what I know, but, you know, there's probably other people out there, economists that, that are better than I, but, you know, certainly you can look at the, the, the daily slaughter numbers that the USDA reports, and it's not easy, not too hard to, to come up with the math that, you know, we're somewhere between two and a half to three million pigs behind in the total number of that pigs that are going to be slaughtered. And, and certainly if you look at that and you say, well, how can we catch up? Um, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a long tail, right? I mean, probably, you know, best case scenario somewhere in August that it truly, if we could get everything, you know, slaughtered, we'd work an extra shift on Saturdays and um, ramp up capacity as much as we could. That's, that's how long it would take. But by then, I think we're going to have a number of pigs that are going to unfortunately have to be um, you know, uh, destroyed in other ways than through the packing plant. So we've got to get through that, and then we've also got to get back to profitability, um, or at least a point where we can see it. So like I said, if producers that are fortunate to be on a, a cutout formula um, that um, right now probably can be profitable, but, um, you know, again, as we continue to slaughter pigs, we're going to see heavier weights, and heavier weights mean more pork, and more pork means probably um, lower cutout values. So so if we can keep trade going, if we can keep pigs moving overseas, we can get rid of some of that meat inventory. Obviously, China probably has a huge hole the need for that. Um, and we can see some money coming back into the industry to make up for the losses that we're accruing now, either from poor prices or losing pigs. Um, you know, that's, I think then we can start to see, um, you know, a little bit of the end. But, you know, we, we've talked for a long time about the end of the year having a lot of pigs also that we're going to be coming online. So will be interesting to see how this is going to affect uh, the number of hogs we have as we get towards the end of the year and into the first part of next. Um, so some producers have talked about calling more sows, decreasing breed targets, things like that. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's a positive set or step and that's a positive thought, but it's still a long time until, um, you know, we see the end of that if we're just starting to do that now. So so I think that's what we need to get to and we need to kind of have a clearer picture on this. And, and then let's not forget the health of the individuals, right? So if we, you know, we don't know how many people have been exposed, uh, but, you know, we could have another wave of, of this disease of COVID obviously going through not only the packing plants and reduce the number of workers that would come, but also on farms. So um, still have to take care of the health of these pigs every day. Another thing we've seen through all this is a vast majority of the population figuring out a way to work from home and work remote. Uh, what do you see today or in the near future helping the swine industry transition remote? Did, was it fairly fairly efficient in how we were able to transition or are there tools or things that you, you think uh, will help with that in the future? You know, that, that's something that we've, we've given a lot of thought to. And even before COVID, I think, um, you know, not only from a biosecurity standpoint, but just spreading yourself, uh, you know, over, over more of what you do, more of your clients or whatnot else. Um, you know, I think we've thought about what we can do. So, yeah, telehealth, I think that's an interesting, uh, interesting premise or an interesting idea and in how we can do that. I know, you know, there are folks that, hey, we, we're going to take a camera into the barn. We're going to walk through. We're going to get just a general gist of what's going on. Um, probably some other uh, methods that are able to analyze barn and barn environments, uh, looking for disease or whatnot else. Um, you know, we can do a lot of these things and, you know, again, we have a number of barn controllers anymore that give you a lot of information without even being there. So that's really gone a long way. But um, at the end of the day, 
uh, it's still something in terms of taking care of a pig that we've got to be there to do it. I don't know that we're going to fully trust, um, you know, in barn diagnostics and, and uh, remote sensing, things like that. I don't know that we're going to fully trust that to never have somebody go through. So maybe at the slot level, we could spread more barns over fewer people. Um, you know, maybe service staff can focus their attention on going to specific barns that have needs from either a health standpoint um, or, you know, a caretaker standpoint. But, you know, really, I think as, you know, I look at it from a veterinarian, a veterinarian standpoint, and a lot of what I do is training. And so there's certain things that we can do remotely from training, whether it be through videos, uh, you know, uh, modules, things like that to train people with. But a lot of our day-to-day -day training still goes on hand-in-hand -hand in the barn, going into the barn, getting dirty, doing the work, and showing folks exactly what it is that we need to do to accomplish, um, you know, taking care of the well-being of the, of the livestock in those barns. So, you know, there's going to be a certain aspect that we cannot automate. We cannot digitalize. We can't take... Um, you know, remotely and um, similar to packing plants. I don't know that they're ever going to get to a point where those are fully mechanized either, where, again, you know, you never have to have somebody, you know, trimming a, trimming a hog or doing something like that. It'll be interesting, but I, I think there's a certain limit that we can get to. But we've definitely tried to push that to where we can so far. So, no, that's a really good point because a lot of, a lot of people see a veterinarian as someone who's there to, to directly uh, care for an animal, but in a lot of ways it is training others to also be good caregivers and to do the right thing. And you can't just automate all of that. Right, right. No, I mean, again, that's, you know, we're, we're more than just a set of eyes to look at sick pigs and a knife to, to necropsy um, those pigs as well. It's, you know, again, and, and certainly we're not the only ones that can train. There's a, there's a number of very excellent production staff folks that do. Um, and, and there's obviously probably some veterinarians that aren't as good at it either. And I'm sure some people probably tell me I'm not very good at it sometimes. But, um, yeah, but again, there's... There's really nothing that that replaces the you know the the getting in farm, getting on and, and getting your hands dirty, getting getting in there and showing everybody what to do. And so um, we we forget about that I think a lot, and and that's probably one area that in this industry uh, to continue to be successful in the future. I uh, you know I think we've felt that uh, training is 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 the most important aspect that we need to continue to improve on. So in looking at kind of the third uh, futuristic uh, perspective and topic being the supply chain and various ways of how this might might change how we do what we do, uh, from, a, from your perspective on the family farm, how, how has this changed your thinking? How has this brought forward options that you might not have pursued in the past I mean what, what has this done just the whole thought process of what it means to be a producer of pork yeah right I, I think we're we're still trying to dig through that you know I think um, a lot of those mindsets aren't uh, you know those those ideas aren't just epiphanies they're kind of an evolution over time of sitting there and telling yourself how do you continue to be successful how do you continue to be competitive and I think a lot of people that um, are smaller producers have already taken that step maybe not a lot but certainly some that have taken that step to differentiate themselves um, and I think you know we have an opportunity maybe to see more of that it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out from an economic standpoint because a lot of these niche markets a lot of these value-added products you know whether it be like I said a certain genetic that people want or equality or whatever or you know that I think that they're willing to pay more for 
if we don't have a strong economy, um, you know, and, and, and we lose some of the expendable income, we may not see those as being as viable an option um, as maybe they are today for some. Um, and also, there's there's a limited segment of the the you know economy. There's a, well, there's of the population that's willing to spend more for that product anyway, right? So have we already maximized that? Have we already um, you know taken that all into account? And, and so maybe there's not that room. But I think you know, a number one as producers, and and this is for the entire industry, we need to continue to look at outreach to the consumer. Um, and you know, again, whether it's forming direct relationships for folks that hey, you want to buy a pig? We'll we'll sell you a pig and you know, probably nothing more than what you're going to pay for at the store, but maybe that means more for the producer in the long run to be able to sell that product uh, directly and cut out the middleman. Um, you know, so maybe we have to think more about those things or, again, continuing to diversify into other, you know, means of, of making money. But we're still pretty early in this whole thought process, I think, unfortunately, and, and maybe there's some shock that still, you know, is involved with, like, holy cow, this thing, this thing went to a heck in a handbasket pretty quickly, and so... Um, can't spend too much time dwelling on that, but there are current events that we need to be mindful of and address before we probably can start addressing the future in a lot of cases. Yeah, there's enough on your plate as is, uh, let alone trying to figure out a whole new business model. I, I guess as we, as we wrap things up here, if you had a golden nugget for the people listening, whether it be consumers, producers, various stakeholders, what, what might it be? Hmm. Well, um, you know, I hate to keep touching on mental health, but, um, you know, that's a huge aspect and we've got to be mindful of that. I, I think, you know, the, that everybody should know that I don't think there's anybody in this industry today that's not trying as hard as they can to make sure that the welfare of the animals is met. Um, you know, and there's certain economic you know, realities that we all have to face. So whether it be, you know, the bad publicity from, you know, hearing about euthanized pigs, um, you know, again, I don't know that, you know, I just would hope that everybody understands that this isn't something that anybody wants to do. And I also want people to know that as meat comes back into the stores, because it will, right, you know, as, as plants get back to 100% capacity, there, there won't be a meat shortage. Um, but there will still be a pig surplus, right? There will still be um, a glut of these pigs that we have to, we have to find a home for and do something with. And so, um, you know, for those that really aren't in, involved in the industry, that um, it doesn't end just when packing plants get back to 100%. So I guess leave it with that. I, you know, I, it's, it's, I'll tell you, Matt, it's really hard to be positive. And I do think that, though, we do have to make sure we are. And we have to, when we go to farms, when we come to work every day, you know, we do have to try to bring a positive attitude. And I think that's uplifting to the folks that are out there doing the hard work. And maybe their paycheck isn't, directly dependent on the market because they're probably going to get a paycheck regardless but you know they do understand what's going on out there today and, and these are on uncertain times for everybody with COVID and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of angst and, and um, um, you know, uncertainty on that so coming with a positive attitude is a good thing and continue to to make sure that everybody knows that they're appreciated well, I appreciate you sharing that. It's it's so true. Everybody is appreciated. Everyone's working as hard as they possibly can. And it's not their fault. And we're just trying to do what we can with what we've got. And so I really appreciate you sharing that and you joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast to share your knowledge and expertise. It's been a true pleasure having you on. 
Yeah, well, thank you. I um, hope the best for everybody else out there in the industry. We're all in this together, right? We are. Well, thank you, Pete. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like Swine Tech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.